right, once again, welcome to the Professional Goblins Podcast. And we are a podcast now. I like that. I like that, actually. We, we're, we live up for the name. Thanks to Mike. Um, For so long, we weren't. We were just like uh, kind of on Twitch and then put it on YouTube later. But yes, no, we're finally a podcast. And uh, I, I think we also have to change our intro video a little bit because uh, now we have Christina, who has been promoted to a full-time host, I believe. Yes. Yay. Yes. Welcome, Christina. How are you? Hey, good to be here. Good to again, be here, again. Um, but yeah, brings legitimacy to our enterprise because she has the distinguishment of being the only person I think in the world who has professionally taught role tabletop role playing games. Actually, I, I wouldn't say world. But. No, let's say I, I actually had a professor who taught a course or two on that. So, oh, excellent! That's good yep. to hear. Okay. What wow. was the courses you? What are you talking about? What tabletop courses did you take? I took literally a course on tabletop game design back at UAT. Oh, excellent! And yeah, it, was, it was it was officially called rapid prototyping. But it was just, here's how you make role-playing games. Taught oh, wow. by a guy who worked in, you know, on a lot of stuff. He worked on X-Wing TIE Fighter, that game. Oh, neat. Okay. One, Dave well, well, definitely the first to do it at Winthrop University. Definitely. In South Carolina. So. <laughs> I don't think they were a professor of role-playing games. They were a professor of games, but not role-playing games. Oh, okay. Yes. I was a part of the English department as I did mine, so it was an English class for writing. So, um, if you guys don't know what... The show is, oh my god, you're in for a treat. Um, the three of us yammer on for an hour and a half about all sorts of good stuff. We're generally focused on the tabletop role-playing industry, as you can tell. Um, we're about an hour, hour and a half, like I said, and each section has, we kind of go through a section-by-section section overview uh, of what we're going to do, and then at the end, we, when we have a guest, we go ahead and have them wrap up. Christina's kind of going to be playing the role of the quasi-guest today, because I think yes. Mike and I have been around here for, uh, for too long. 52 episodes. Oh, God. Oh, my God. This is 53. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, congratulations um, on the success of that. Our, my goal is to have a, a different guest for everyone, but I figured, because this one, we have you joining as a co-host, we figured, we'd, yeah. okay, just the three of us should be fine. But, yeah, yeah. we've had, uh, what, 50-some different people on. Yep. So, uh, if you are working in the tabletop industry and you would like to appear on uh, Professional Goblins, please contact us. And, I mean, that, that doesn't have to be... I all I do is write games. I mean, it could you could be an artist, you could be somebody who's production, graphic designer, graphic whatever. designer. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'd be cool with people who run LARPs or you know whatever. Our standards what? are very very low. Yes, as you can tell, we got Mike on the. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> uh, let's say I think I'm a small small fry here, so I can't really say that. Um, but yeah, Mike, do we want to start with our first section on uh, game stories? Yes, uh, we'd like to start with product reviews, but nobody sends us product reviews for Cool Shredder and, what is it, Unicorn Brow? Or Unibrow? I, Unibrow Corn. I forget what it is. We'll, we'll figure that out when we get to it. Um, so, and Christine, that means you've got to have a persona that you're going to be reviewing as, which is going to be amazing. Oh, okay. persona. Yeah. Oh, Medusa, of course. Oh, okay. I have a Medusa hat because that would be perfect. I do actually. Uh, Monica Marlowe made me a Medusa oh. yarn band. I'll have to bring that out. That is it. That is it. Yeah. Uh, so who, who wants to take over the uh, the first section? Well, yeah, what ends up being mostly our first sections are these, uh, like, what's going on in our current games or, like, yeah. a character lesson from a game that we played in the past. I would say I, I have a pretty good one, actually. Um, right. I have, actually, almost pretty soon after I um, we ended the last one, I think I started running this thing called Here There Be Dragons. Do you okay. guys know what a, a West Marches game is? 
It's in the West Marches. <laughs> it's based on a campaign that was set in the West Marches. Um, yeah. Basically, you have a big pool of players, and uh -huh. you have an irregular schedule. So whenever you the GM can run it, they go, "Hey, uh -huh. I can run it any time in the next, you know, these four days at this time." And everyone signs up, says, oh, "Okay, I can sign up." And whenever you get the most, you go, and no one's penalized for missing it. And you kind of have a big pool of players, but a small pool of players per game. Interesting. I never and heard of that. It works great for everyone because everyone has crazy schedules. We're all adults, most of us in our <laughs> something like that. Um, so it, it works great for schedules, and the group really pulls together to do it. So I got about twenty plus players that I'm GMing for, um, wow. averaging about six to ten a game. Nice. Um, and it works out great. It works out great. They kind of self-direct. There's some larger overarching plot, but anyway. So we had one of our smaller games uh, la uh, two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, I think. Okay. And um, it was a smaller group, and they ended up getting one of those you know, random encounter things. So I basically had to build the whole area beforehand. And uh, I rolled on the encounter chart, of course. And, of course, I hit zero, 0 I'm like, oh, boy. So they're in level 6, by the way. And Pat this is a Pathfinder game. And they rolled up a Demi-Lich. <laughs> Uh, an awakened Demi Lich, mind you. Okay. Which is like CR 14 or something. Wow. Um, so they come across these, uh, these, these, these guys who are they're called the Cursed Dead in the game. They're kind of like intelligent undead, but they're cursed to be tributes to this deity. And they go ahead and they grab this, like, this, this, this thing from a chest. I'm like, oh, good. And they get it. And one of the players, or Katie, is a, is a tiefling who is just all about, like, pomp and circumstance and how great he is, and I love him. Um, and he sees what's in the chest, and it is literally a diamond-studded skull. And he's like, I want that. I need that. And the other players are like, yeah, that's worth more than the entire colony we're helping set up. Let's go get it. So they, of course, end up, there's two rangers, and uh, he's a, I think he's, I forget what he is. I think he, he's not a rogue, but he's roguelike. I think he's a swashbuckler, maybe. But so end up they end up kicking ass and taking names, and they get the crystal skull, and it immediately uh, dominate. Or it doesn't dominate. It starts using suggestion on Arcady. That's a really good idea to bring it back to town. And out of game, one of them goes, "Oh, this is a demi lich. Oh shit!" But in game, they're like, "I'm like, well, do you guys have like knowledge, religion, or I'll even give you a praise." Nope, nope. Sweet. Diamond skull. <laughs> this is the greatest skull ever. And they're like, all right, we're going to take More a... Gonna... Artifact. Like, it's just cool. Well, no, it's, it's great. They put it in a bag on the horse, and they start riding off. They go down for a night's rest. In the middle of the night, a bunch of wolves show up, and the horse instantly dies. They don't know why the <laughs> horse dies. It got uh, its, its soul sucked or whatever the, the thing is. And the wolves are just like, nope, and peace out. And the players are like... I'm 99% sure that skull is not good. And Arcady's just like, oh, yeah, no, definitely. Great skull. Love it. <laughs> and uh, they end up bringing it back to town. And the, the, the leader of the Adventurer's Guild called Solomon House, uh, uh, he goes, nope, that's a lich. That's, that, that's a thing. And the guy's, I think he's neutral, but I think he leans towards good. He's a good character. And he's just like, that's a demi-lich. We don't play with those. And they're like, but is it worth something? Oh, yes, it's definitely worth something. And the thing, like, comes to life and, like, starts, like, menacing them. And he's like, nope, you keep doing your thing. You're good. You're great. Have a great time. Just just don't bother us. We're, we're, we're happy to, like, that you stop by. Praise be to you. No problem. The players are like, yep, take a step back. They were smart. 
They were smart players. They did not get ganked by the Demi Lich. Arcady may or may not have become his thrall for a little bit through his own interest. He's like, wait, I could be your servant, you know. <laughs> you could give me all sorts of things, like a crystal skull, right? <laughs> and uh, there, there are lots of things in that one. They got mauled by uh, dire Smilodons at one point in that session. Um, but yeah, um, Here There Be Dragons, it's open invite to anyone who wants to pop in. They just hit level 7. Uh, the group levels together. They get some out-of-combat stuff if they uh, attend more sessions. But yeah, West March is a lot of fun to run. A lot of work up front. but yeah. And that's what I'll probably be telling you guys more and more stories about. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so who, who wants to take it out and try to follow up the, uh, the Demi-Lutch story? Well, I have only have some short stuff. so it's All right. Well, yeah, go for it. First to handle it. So uh, I'm playing in actually three different campaigns right now. Only? Um, only, yeah. They're about every two weeks, though, so different yeah, groups. Yeah, it works. Um, so one of them's a solo campaign with a Starfinder character my cousin runs, and then I've got... I'm playing Swade, the new Savage Worlds edition, with uh, some friends. Uh, they're running Star Frontiers on that, actually. So, so you got lots of sci-fi. the old school. You know. <laughs> so, uh, but I want to talk about my Pathfinder character, so I'm in a Skull and Shackles campaign uh, where you're all supposed to be evil, yes? Uh, so I'm playing a lawful evil uh, Sawagan Wear Shark, and shout out to Miska Studios Wear Shark product, by the way. <laughs> um, but so one of my favorite things, uh, um, there's like the ravenous. My line that I call it ravenous lawful evil. Um, but I want to eat everything, and I'm always in hybrid form, and you know, basically I want to go eat everything. So I'm always one up, up first in battle, and generally my uh, character has a habit of being swallowed by things. <laughs> Which is fine with me because I tend to eat my way through the creature. <laughs> so uh, I want to also say to Neil, Neil Spicer, uh, we were playing one of his adventure in Skull and Shackles, and uh, we found a, um, uh, I think it was a lurker above or a cloaker or something like that, and it was huge. Um, and of course, my character's like, I'm going up there, I'm going to eat that thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm a blood rager too, by the way. And uh, so I, I go up there, and, and Neil is, is just one of the most evil writers there ever it was, right? So if you've ever played in any of Neil Spicer's games uh, products. Uh, so the cloaker, um, well, I think on the second turn, ends up enveloping my character. And I do have the bite attack, but I, I'm getting smothered by this creature. It's the only creature that's been able to do that to me, right? And uh, so... Um, my companions are trying to get me out of there before I suffocate, and uh, they're, of course, everything that they do to that, I take damage from. Luckily, hmm. I have some VR, <laughs> but I think it was actually the monkey gunslinger in our party that uh, ends up shooting the crap out of it. I take about half of that uh, to get me out of there, <laughs> but the whole uh, joke of my character, as I call her Zara Keen the Beloved, because everything likes to try to eat her as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm having an absolute blast playing in that campaign, and also uh, we are running this out in uh, Pineville, North Carolina, at one of the game stores out there. It's called Carolina Tabletop Games. A great store, by the way, if anybody's in the area want to come out and see some of us crazy people playing P Pathfinder. So... Does your character bother with like meals at camp, or does she like save her 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 like hunger for fights? Oh, I no, I will you know attack whatever uh, pretty much quickly. Or I get mad if they try to cook something and take it away from me. You know, I want my meat raw. We had one character in the group that was a uh, half orc who loved to cook, and I'm like, why are you messing with my food? You know, <laughs> do not mess it up. I, I have uh, a. Uh... 
in a, in a Star Trek roleplay, I play uh, a Mugato, which are the giant white hairy apes. Uh, yeah, upli- yeah. I, play, I play an uplifted. Uh, he's a sanitary technician, but he also yeah. gets, he gets taken along and stuff. So whenever he always eats raw meat, and he's always like, and everyone's like, "Here, have this nice thing, Rocky." And Rocky's like, "Thank you." Tosses it aside, <laughs> and he's just like start eating like like detritus, and they're like. And he's like, he's like, don't worry, it's just a biological thing. I, I need the, fer- the fermented meat and everything. And they're like, okay, that's not how we're, okay. <laughs> Federation morals. Yes, definitely. So, Mike, what do you got for us? Uh, my On Turbine Wings group is continuing. They've been going for over a year now. And it's it started with uh, a robot person and um, a peon, like a frog person monk. Um who are the other people? Oh yeah, uh, an Oni touched druid and a Tanuki rogue, an herbalist. So wait, wait, wait! I gotta ask about the Tanuki. Is it like, like accurate Tanuki or like game Tanuki? Uh, she's a female character. So got it. Got it. Does not have the Boru. No, got she it. still has the abilities of a Tanuki, but yeah, got it. the female ones don't have Boru. They, they don't um, need. They don't need to go bouncy on it. Like, no, no. Okay, good. Um, yeah, they, and they were like, we want to get out of Soberin. And I was like, okay. They were like, yeah, we want to cross the Great Divide. And the Great Divide is like the, the world of Soberin sort of like ends in a waterfall. Mm-hmm. And then there's a big span of air and then this giant energy wall that fluctuates. And like no magic or, or anything works in the wall. So people just don't cross it. And there's a long thing with like foreigners that came over and lightning ships and blah, 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 blah. That stopped recently. And nobody's had contact with these foreigners. Yet. They're like, we're going to go and find out what happened. I'm like, okay. Are you sure? And they're really sure. So they started building a ship, and then I like lured them out of that town and all the way across the continent to the other side and back. Along the way, they ran into a dragon because I rolled a double zero random encounter. But they were it was like he showed up as a dragon. It was like he showed up as like an old guy walking and asked for some water. And one of the characters was like, "I'm a dignified samurai. I'll I'll give him water." And then of course, like they get a boon from it. It's like, "What? Oh my god!" It was a... But. <laughs> It's not what I'm here to talk about. Players are smart. Oh, my God. Jillbot. So Jillbot has been playing this character since the beginning. She's playing a Steamedic, which were the, like, automaton soldiers of Ceramia. Um, and now that there's no, like, War of Kaio for them to fight, they just kind of, like, wander around. And people generally tolerate them because they're sticky to themselves and they're very productive workers. Uh, but they tend to have uh, – they, they tend to go, like, crazy after a while and just, like, lose all sense of morals or anything. And that has a reflection to do with this extra attribute in Hitoku. It means fall from virtue. And she has been playing this up perfectly. So she started off as this, like, really weird, like, highly sexualized robot who wanted to just, like, fuck every human she talked to. Yeah. Um, and then, like, they, they got some snow leopard kittens, and she got super attached to them. Aww. And then they inadvertently killed them while trying to save the kittens from this woman who wanted Aww. to take them. And so she's, then you sort of see her, like, downward decline. And in the last game, she straight up tortured this dude to death and, like, ripped his arms off. And then, uh, like, the next night, they went to, like, uh, uh, chase this uh, Irikotira warrior, these, like, uh, machine-armored hobgoblin soldiers, because they were tasked with, uh, like, their shit. uh, So they went down to the university and were like, hey, grad students, build our plane for us. And they're like, okay, (laughs) sure. Uh, Yeah, and then they were talking, they mentioned the overseer while, like, talking amongst each other and some of the grad students made their roles and they're like oh my god the overseer like this foreign general with like a hovercraft that's still like terrorizing Soberin so the authorities find out they confiscate their like half-made plane and to get it back they have to catch these Irikotira warriors going around Kyoku 
and they capture they, they they find one and they're supposed to just like track it but somebody of course was like no nah, let's just kill it and they you know attack the dude and uh this blacksmith's kids run out to see what happened and like their dad's dead and they're like going to loot the bodies and like take this Irikotera warrior's corpse and uh this kid like runs up the window and she's like oh can that kid see what i'm doing oh and she's scottish by the way so the player the player is scottish <laughs> he's a dream i'm like yeah of course this kid totally sees you you're standing right there there's torchlight nearby she's like all right well i'll shoot him in the face i'm like what? Oh. <laughs> i get sneak attack on that do i have advantage I'm like, yeah the kid is not ready to be shot in the face with the crossbow bolt and she just oh, the kid? Oh, you're talking about the corpse yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god and I was like, oh my god, and the rest of the party, even the undead mage was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't Mike, what is it with you and injuring children? Well, I mean, in this case, it is the character's progression from, uh, like, moral neutrality to yeah. uh, f- complete fall from virtue. She's probably a couple of games away from having to retire that character and making it work. Uh-huh. Uh, but <laughs> we are all deeply enjoying watching her get there. <laughs> And it's so great too, because like, because of the Scottish thing, she's got the like lilting talking. So like, it sounds like she's always really pleasant. And then when she wants to be unpleasant, it's a straight like one hundred eighty degree half second turn to like str- just fucking shade. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, that's, well, that, that, that's pretty beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, they will be escaping sober and soon, and I cannot wait. I might try to catch their reactions for later. Like, just to enjoy. Bottle them up, you know? Yes. All right, all right. Um, Do we want to move on to the favorite working project? Yes, yes. Uh, So the next part of the show is where we talk about stuff that we are not working on or involved with directly. Uh, Or no, wait, no, this is one we are involved with. Oh, we are involved with. Yeah, this is our shit that we're working on. So, uh, Christina, what are you working on? All right, this moment, I'm um, about to get into the... um, Book of Passion Bestiary to follow up on the Book of Passion release that we did, uh, bringing sex and love to your campaign from Misfit Studios. Uh, so I don't have all the art yet, but I've got all the, the manuscripts, so that's in editing. And um, I've got the Ravensburg Charity Project that my students wrote uh, in my first class that I taught. I um, actually want to get the 5e version of that ready and get it loaded pretty soon. I've got a few things I still need to do with that. Um, that's such a dope so. project. That was fun, honestly. I'm, I was pretty proud of my students. Um, it was crazy getting all them to work together <laughs> to get that product made, but uh, I think it turned out pretty well. How many pages in like words and stuff? What was your budget? Uh, well, it was forty thousand words, um, and I ended up kickstarting some of the art. So this was done in you know basically you have three and a half months to get a project ready, and getting all the students to collaborate with each other on a pitch which I did at the old Cobalt Press way at the time and had the students pitch and had them vote on one. And, of course, I gave them two votes because I knew each student would vote for their own project, right? Smart. <laughs> so uh, it ended up being a tie. Um, so the student who uh, got chosen, I actually had my friend uh, from IT uh, who does some freelancing for me, Joey Martin. He actually was the deciding voter on that, which project went ahead. And uh, they were it was tough for him to make a decision, but we went with the – uh, more um, a gothic horror type thing and set in, a, in Eastern European flavor uh, for that one. And getting the students to, like I said, work to collaborate, there was a lot of mutiny going on in the class initially. 
<laughs> the idea of collaboration was not you know, something that went over very well with him. But uh, in the end, I think it turned out pretty well. The adventure piece of it has not been published yet. That really needed a lot of work. Um, and I've been out of uh, the gaming scene right now for a little over six months due to some personal issues uh, that I've had. And, um, you know, so I'm getting back into the swing of things and trying to get that ready to get the looking at the adventures from and um, those were 5e I'm excuse me those are Pathfinder adventures and they'll be uh, also converted over to 5e but I've got to get the main part of the book done in 5e first and get that out what was but the other material to release it's a lot easier to fuck up making an adventure than it is like a book about yeah. or whatever yeah they, they you know it takes a little you know a lot of talent and skill to do a good adventure and they just weren't at that level yet um i really would have liked to have done just a class on adventure writing honestly uh but yeah. these were short adventures and they actually play tested them we had a mini con at the college uh, uh, our class it was awesome i thought um yeah. so, so they actually played them and play tested got some you know feedback from the other players and stuff um, so, you know, we did as best we could within the time frame that we had. And like I said, we had you know, over 40,000 words of material and, uh, there is that PDF out there. So that's out on drive through if people want to contribute. And that money went to scholarships at the Winthrop University English department. Um, so, you know, Hey, this, it pays back to the students. Hi. Uh, what was the other, what was the other, uh, setting that was, that didn't get picked? Um, I can't actually remember. I think it was an island setting. Uh, December Kukuro actually did it, and she was one of my star students uh, in the class, and I actually got her to do some editing on the book. Um, and she's gone on to graduate school right now at the University of Las Vegas. And i uh, really happy for her. Uh, she will be writing game stuff in the future. I have no doubt about that. Of course, she's concentrating on her regular career at the moment. Um, so, you know, but... Um, Hey, you know, I thought it was a pretty decent project that they, they were able to pull it off, and I had a great fun doing it. The second class ended up doing some stuff that I was related to the Midgard, um, which uh, I was working with Wolfgang Bauer at the time, but he was so tied up with his Kickstarter stuff that we never got it pushed forward. Uh, but that's something I still have the, the manuscripts for if, uh, if I can get Cobalt to take a look at him in the future. <laughs> that's, that's also a lesson about RPG design. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's something I'll I'll be talking about in a in a show or two that I will uh, be able to I'll be able to talk about then that I can go. Yeah, I agree. I, I do want to say though that in one in my second class, a student named AJ Todd actually started producing and publishing his own material. He's the That's only good. student out of the out of the classes that I taught to, to actually do that. He's on the DMs Guild with his stuff, and I'm very proud of it. So you know, hey, Mike and I both hey. winced. I understand. I understand. But hey, that was you know he was yep, able to put yep. some stuff out, and he's got That's a, a good way to start. Love. He's got a great yeah. level of five. Better to have it out than not have it out. At yep. all. Oh yeah, like I said, he's the only student that went forward with his own stuff and you know jumped in. I was like, hey, you know, go for it. So, so Mike, what do you got for us? Uh, I'm talking about. Uh, oh, okay. Great Before voice. I get into it, E Insider, which is the Patreon that I am the editor for, it's awesome. We have over a thousand patrons. Yeah. Um. I just made three of our most popular articles free. So if you want to oh, check wow. out uh, the Zeitgeist Adventure Path, Cauldronborn is free. It's this like the climax of one of the adventure modules where like a, a kaiju golem gets let loose and you try to stop it. Um, uh, Crypto Hereticum, which is a dungeon crawl uh, adventure. And then um, Syndrathrax, the Soul Hoarder, which is a very high level necromancer dragon. Um, all free. So check them out. But oh, 
Trade War is finally out and about. I'm finally done with it. Wow. It's uh, 374 pages for the 5e version or 340 pages for the Shadow of the Demon Lord version. And it was a nightmare getting finally out. Like, I had to... Uh, uh, so there's a maximum file size on Drive RPG. They've increased it, actually. It used to be half of a gig. Now it's uh, 800 megabytes. But the wow. final print version, that was just too big. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like 850 or 900 or something. I had to go through, it took me a whole day. I had to go through and just like individually render and export different titles that I was using that had like uh, effects on it so it looks nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I had to save all my titles basically as uh, individual image files. And <laughs> and then once I finally cut it in, uh, they, they, they sent the prints. This is so bizarre. Uh, I have the original print for Shadow of the Demon Lord because I sent the, the fixed one to Rob Schwab. Here's the front of the book, and here is uh, everything upside down. Oh, no. Yeah, right? Oh. And, like, oh. that was not me. So I emailed them, wow. and I was like, hey, guys, what's up? And they immediately fixed it and sent me new prints. But, like, yeah, just delay after delay. Wow. But, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> you will I, – I honestly do not think that anyone will release anything of that size uh, for Eastern Adventures in 5e, except for me because I'm working on the next one, and uh -huh. it will be just as big. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm. I'm. It was, it was nice to finally get that one off my chest and and moving on. And then, um, yeah, Vast Cavi is coming, but it's probably going to get delayed a month because I got picked up for a bunch of other extra work at Ian World. I'm not going to talk about. Don't. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and I couldn't contribute as much as that due to my crazy schedule these days. Yeah, I was wondering where your stuff was. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I don't know if I can if I can finish that up. I was I, I can wrap it up in a week if you want me to, but honestly, it's like I'm I'm working almost every day on little red stuff at this moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, it's up to you. If you don't okay. want to do it, you could also toss to somebody else working on it, like, okay. um, Andrew Engelbright's great, I love using him for everything, you're gonna hear me talk about him later in the, the show. So, um, speaking, good, good segue, are you done, Mike? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, let's see, oh my god, if this show had come out two weeks earlier, um, I just wrapped up, we have the, our big alternate path line of books that we do, um, which focuses on advanced player options and kind of diversifying what is kind of homogeneous already. Um, homogeneous. Homogeneous, thank you. Homogeneous. Um, I do all the time. Uh, this is my favorite yeah. one. Uh, Ari. <laughs> I kept saying Ari instead of Ari. Yeah. Which I think is more appropriate, by the way. Ari uh, feels more like what, what the Ari is meant to convey, but whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so we, um, we basically have been putting out these books for six years now, I think. Uh -huh. We've got about, I think almost a dozen of them. About one or two a year. What's the uh, latest? The latest one is called Alternate Path Magical Characters. It's the second one, so Alternate Path 2, where we get to get we get to go into a lot of... It's been selling like hotcakes, too. Um, wow. But it's basically, hey, full casters get to beam things other than just here is your spell list. Um, and all the books we always put out a whole slew of alternate rules and subsystems that you can use alt like make your game more interesting. Uh, we always put out some classes and some class support stuff for it. This one also included, I think, something like 27 pages of new spells as well. Like, wow. each section of that book could be its own book. Um, we actually worked on a lot of... Uh, in Starfinder, they were called reactions, but in this, it's immediate actions done, you know, by, triggering, by a triggering condition. But uh, we had a bunch of reactionary spells in the book. Because your wizard needs something to do other than, all right, full round casting, guys. I cast a spell, and that's my turn. 
Instead, you're like, hey, guess what? I saved your ass. There you go. Um, we have a class built around it called the Kai, um, who basically gets multiple uses, but you have to use it before the next beginning of the next turn, and only on triggering conditions. Uh, we reworked our entire Runesmith we did when we first started publishing into a full class. Um, we did the Mage Rite. We call it Maven for this. Uh, I worked when I was like. In, my, in, like, middle school, I wrote a system before I even knew what D&D was. And there was a class called Mage Rite. And then I realized that that's a thing from Eberron. And I'm like, I can't do that. So it's called Maven. But they basically get one spell, and later on a few more, that they are just the god of. They don't care about any other spells. And they basically get these things that are kind of like metamagics. But they sacrifice other slot spell slots to be able to use them. And then they get a pool of it that they can do on their own. But basically it's like, hey, my fireball, instead of being a fireball, is now a line of... Healing energy that technically that gives me an AC bonus, and does like a double backflip and tell and looks like a crazy dragon head because I decided it did. Um, but then we got a bunch of new schools. We got a bunch of new spells. Like I said, we included Surprise Bear. I, I think I, had surpri- <laughs> I told the story of Surprise Bear in the show, didn't I? I don't know it. Uh, we, we were playtesting, and basically I, I picked up a, a random druid just for some uh, of equal level just to throw something else in there. And every round, I realized it was just, like, dedicated to summoning. So almost, like, every turn, it just had, like, summon animal, one of the versions that could summon a bear. So every turn, I just summoned a bear. And it was way more effective than anyone else. And everyone... So I'd five-foot step back and cast a bear. So surprise, bear! And so we ended up with a spell called Surprise Bear, which lets you uh, instantly... It's like a... I think it's a reaction that summons a, a bear that makes a single attack and then disappears. Mm. And there's also a surprise whale, which does something similar, but it spawns a whale above you, and it's a really high-level spell. Wow. Because everyone, everyone, as soon as they read, like, the summon monster spells, like, oh, it's a whale. Can I just summon it above them? No, it has to be in a fitting environment. But I'm like, this one? Let's see do it. But no, we have a, we have a lot in there. Uh, we have a lot of Starfinder stuff coming out. I'm actually really excited about that. Mobile suits for Starfinder. Um, and you can use the term mobile suits, by the way. Uh-huh. It's not copyrighted by Bandai. I went through all that stuff. Um, mobile suits is not, but a lot of other things are. Um, but yeah, mobile suits for Starfinder is in the works. Um, bike space bikers, yes, Mike Biker Knights from or was it uh, was it Biker Knights from Mars? Mars. Yeah, that's literally like we have like a section at the top with like inspiration art and like biker mice is up there. Uh, bikers and stuff like that. I don't know. We have a lot of fun shit coming out for Starfinder. I'm a little excited. Excellent, excellent. We have the old mayhem theme. Um, I think it's called Gold. So are you Pathfinder sales holding up well still? Mm, less than I want them to be. Well, less than you expected them to at this point with 2E around the corner? No, I think they're about where I expected them to be. That's why I switched over a lot to Starfinder. Um, I, I would like them to be a little higher like they were earlier. And I'm going to jump into second ed pretty hard, too. Um, We have one really, really, really big release um, that may or may not come out before second edition. Um, I guess I can talk about it a little bit, just mention it. Uh, The thing that kind of got us on the map was we did uh, Legendary Levels, which was Epic Level Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Dayton Johnson, one of our, like, he's my mechanics guy. When I have a question about mechanics, he's my guy. Uh, literally submitted to me like an 80,000 word doc uh, for Legendary Levels 2. 
right. like a revised and expanded thing that's completely different. And he, I, I was like, okay. So uh, we're, we're slowly going through that. And it, we're not sure if we're going to release it for this or literally convert it over to second edition stuff and launch it right after launch. Hmm. But Get out there. Are you going to stay um, producing any PF1 stuff after it comes out? Um, what we've, I've talked about this with a few developers. What we've said was we're going to see how it does. Uh, yeah. I have a backlog of Pathfinder 1 stuff I could publish for another two years probably without yeah. writing another a single thing. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. Wow. Um, we probably have 13, 14 products we could put out if we wanted to pull them out of it. Okay. Um, and honestly, we're going to see how it goes. Uh, we, we have this unspoken project called And the Kitchen Sink that yeah. if we don't get, um, if we're like, all right, we're pretty much going to shut down most of our Pathfinder 1, we're going to toss it all in a book and just be like, guys, <laughs> submit it. It may not be the best editing. It will not be the best formatting. But... Five bucks for this book, and it's 50 pages. Go nuts, guys. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, something like that, that we just, like, the stupid stuff we never got to publish. Like, uh -huh. uh, we have, like, we have feats that, like, like dad's packing method, which allows you to pack more stuff into a space than you should, and commoner <laughs> empathy and stuff. But it's, like, I haven't been able to fit those into books, but, like, and the kitchen sink would be a really fun yeah. product. And exactly. just go to every developer and just be like, hey, guys, what do you got? We're not, we're not paying anyone. I'm not getting paid either. I'm just going to, I'll format it and edit it for you guys. But, like, yeah. Go nuts. What do you got? Kevin Gusting cleared me out of my, my extra old Pathfinder stuff with Who the did? last book. Oh, Kevin. Things. Kevin, yeah. He's like, hey, I'm paying for whatever extra you got. And I was like, oh, awesome. And I scoured my Google Drive. I found like four or five projects. That just... Yeah, he, he's bought a few off me. Um, actually, I'll talk about him in the um, next section. Let's talk about Kevin because we're on the new section. Yeah. This is a okay. project that is not ours from which we cannot profit. Uh, I, had, I had an interesting experience with him uh, recently. He messaged me. He's like, hey, I'm doing this culinar uh, culinarian, I think he calls it. Okay. Culinarist or whatever. And we, of course, wrote the Battle Chef way back when. Um, oh. And have we have art and fan art of the art. It's great. Um, and Kevin was like, hey, I'm not directly referencing any specific thing from that, but if I was to not reference it in the book, I would feel like, this is the battle chef, but the battle chef, if it was chef, if it was a wizard, I'm like, okay. And it's, we reserved it as product identity, and they were like, and I'm like, yeah, go for it. Just say, just just give us a shout out, and we're fine. But no, he puts up some great stuff, so I wanted I wanted to pimp out his uh, his his was it book of many things? What book of many things? That's yeah, book of many things. Yeah, uh, you buy it, and he keeps expanding it, and keeps expanding it. So get it on the ground floor, and you will have bazillions of pages of content the dude's a machine and he's good at what he does so last thing he bought for me was like a uh, crazy high fantasy atlantis stuff yep uh my my go-to this week is the uh warlord from schwab entertainment uh so if you are one of the people who are complaining like ah oh, where's the warlord for fifth edition like here you go rob who <laughs> works edition and also worked on third and fourth edition uh, has converted it, and he's working on the warden, which he literally built for fourth edition. So, uh, yeah, for forty. Yes. Well, no, he's making it for five. Oh, that's what I was saying. When it was originally made, when the warden was originally made for forty, that was that yeah. was his job. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, he's very in a very good place to make those yep. conversions. Oh yes. 
definitely. And it was nice. It was nice seeing like the world uh, be like, oh wait, there's places you can get five uh, E material that is not DM skilled. What? I know. <laughs> hey Mike, would you suggest EN Insider as a good place to get five E material? I would. I would. <laughs> but it's an ancillary marketplace, and I got, it, I got. It. So, um, yeah, go pick that up if you want. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I'm not crazy about the Warlord class, but uh, I have all my own classes and stuff that I have to play test anyway. I never get to use it. Yeah. Master. <laughs> Pepper, what are you doing? Okay. Um, Christine, is there anything that you wanted to pimp for anybody else? Or? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I've kind of been out of it for about six months, so I don't know of anything at the moment uh, to, to talk That's about. Okay. That's well, Savannah never had anything either, so you're just keeping up the tradition. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay, uh, okay. Um, just haven't been in, in much contact with anybody of late, but uh, in the future I will have something to add. That's fine. All right. Pathfinder and Starfinder news and speculation. Okay. So, uh, I mean, we got Path. We have Pathfinder 2 and we got all the playtest notes coming out and uh, revisions. Um, oh, my God. I am so excited that they removed the, uh, what is it, attunement? Resonance. Resonance, yeah. I, I, I didn't um, get to actually deal with it, but that was one of the things I was interested in, because I was like, yes! More stuff for charisma other than the talkie and bars. Okay, so I'll agree with that, <laughs> but what bothered me was, that's, like, look at 5e and why, why it's gotten so popular recently. It's it's accessibility. And um, and if I say, how many rings can I put on my finger? Or, you know, how many, how many hats can I wear? That's a lot easier than going, well, half your level plus your charisma modifier and magic items and that. And it's like, that that's that's a hard sell for a person who's struggling to figure out what their BAB is. Um, yeah, I don't think that's why 5e. I think the 5e is super popular because, like, there's celebrities playing games. On no, I, I agree. Here, one of the reasons yeah. is the accessibility. Yeah. I, I would, I would, I am not, I'm not going to move on that. That is what I fully believe I had rules yeah. like resonance in Varanthia Codex, and they weren't like of a fucking mindfuck or anything, you know. Say, we we wrote it in Alt Path Aesthetic, something similar. Um, but yeah, no, it's here for. But for the person who is stepping into this game for the first time, I have three or four new players in my Hero the Red Dragon game, and explaining them basic stuff like what a will save is is a little iffy. You know, trying to figure them out, trying to get them to figure out like how. You know, multiple attacks around work and stuff. They're like, "Why does it drop?" and all that stuff. And it's a little hard, and especially when you're. It's just another thing on that pile. I really didn't like that about it. There's there's a way to do it, and I don't think it's that. Yeah, the original resident system they had written up was I was I thought was a little cumbersome, like well, unnecessary. So, but another thing I like from that uh, update is they now have. Um, I like and dislike the fact that they have paladins of every alignment. I'm one of those few guys who's like, lawful good is like iconic for paladins, and now they have a diminished code of conduct that's been cut down, and then they have each of the good alignments that you can take has an additional aspect to their code of conduct, and the lawful good one basically is old school paladin, then they have like what a neutral good paladin has and what a chaotic good one, I'm like, okay, I can see that, I, I can dig that. Yeah, I've always believed that the Paladin should be opened up on alignment. It was one of the early things we did with Spiros Black, Stephen Trustrom uh, did with me as Bizarro Games, and Green Running, that book that we released, was dealing with the Paladin with various alignments. See, so I, I, I've always been in favor of that. Um, I, was, I was talking with someone about this, actually, 
with another class. So we think of paladins, and we think of paladins as holy knights, but there's a lot of part of the world where they are not holy knights. Right, right. Entirely different. Yeah. Will not be associated with lawful good. Right. No. So exactly. we were talking. I was talking with some uh, designer working on something called the Blood Knight for us, and they basically had Blood Knight bloodlines, kind of. And they started getting kind of into the weeds and something, and it was like, all right, well, what's the iconic one? And and, my, and, and then you put the, the rest as, like, something else. And when I hear a paladin, I go, okay, write the lawful good one, and then let someone like Christina write the 15 other ones, don't put it in the core book, or put it in the APG, or, you know, mm -hmm. put it somewhere other than the iconic slot, you know? Yeah. It's a perception thing to me, to a degree. Mm. That's just my two cents on it, though. Uh, a lot of the other changes were... They, they, I think they buffed wizards. Did they drop wizards or buff wizards? I forgot what they did. They, but it was really, it was really, it was really like minor. They changed a lot of the spellcasters a little bit. Um, they addressed some of the stuff with skills. I'm trying to remember. It's been a few days since I read that. Obviously, like a week or two. Um, I mean, it's in the point where they've they've accepted the last revisions they're going to make, and now yeah. they're implementing them all in the file probably is going to the printer within the next couple of weeks if they're trying to get it all ready for Gen Con. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I'm really excited. I, I actually do like a lot of stuff they did. Um, I'm still really personal preference and I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna like, it's just who I am. I'm not, I, it's not something I enjoy. Um, I didn't like how they, they robbed a bunch of the class, the racial features. I feel like races should be relatively straightforward even if they are adding stuff like uh, across levels and stuff. But being like, here's like two racial feats, and the rest are just select, and it feels a lot like there's a lot of overlap between them. And um, another thing I didn't really dig was there's that like 4E feeling where you have abilities that just kind of do a certain... How to, how to explain it? There's a dwarven ability, as an example, that lets you do a dodge roll. Um, but I'm role-playing. Why can't I do a dodge roll? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. why Why does the Dwarven thing give me plus two to my AC and this, and it's not like described as something special, it's just like it's like I'm pressing a button and wow and it's doing a, a skill and it's like Well, for Dwarves I would imagine Dwarves have an easier time rolling because they have the lowest center of gravity Sure, the sure, but why, why, why does only a Dwarf that has that one racial feat instead of Dark Vision get it? It, it uh, feels really weird to me, like racial things to me are like Here's the inherent aspect of your character. Cool. Some yeah. stuff, I think the break would be like, Dark Vision, why would you have to buy Dark Vision? Yeah. You don't develop Dark Vision, you have it. But you kind of do, I think. No, no, see, that's the part I, I'm, I'm, I'm fishier on. Like, there should be stuff that are biological components of a race that do not change, mm -hmm. regardless of what type of whatever you are. Like, and I totally agree. Like, our fingers yeah. on each hand. I agree. Yeah. Um, some might have six, but I shouldn't have to, like... Uh, see, no, 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 yeah, no, 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 and, no. And there's no, a lot no. of overlap between the races, and it feels like one of the, the way I always describe Fourie to someone is every class gets the same abilities eventually, or at least a lot of them. There's a lot of over, crossover between them, and they feel very samey. Just when when you get them and how you get them, and that's what it, the races feel like right now to me too. Is that there's a lot of overlap. Like the, the gnomes can get this bonus, and there's a very similar one for elves, and there's a really similar one for dwarves, and they're a little different, but they're not like. They're not like, ooh, that's an elf. And I, and I figured out that you can build, like, I think it was, like, a human and a... Or it was, like, a gnome and an elf that are almost identical. So um, what's really weird about the whole approach for them it, to do this, in my opinion, is that, like, 
Every, but of, of the Pathfinder core books, the most reviled is the Advanced Race Guide. So why would they choose to take this route with race construction yeah. in second edition? Right? Uh, I, I really think there should be a, uh, I think it should be a core thing. Like you said, all the biological stuff, and then maybe a few race options. Like, yeah. hey, select like your Giant sub- fighting. Giant fighting shouldn't be something that my dwarf has to be fucking yeah. good at. That doesn't make any sense. And that's where yeah, we got all these yeah. alternate racial traits in, in, by the end of uh, 1E, and that's... Yeah, yeah, they did. They, they really piled into, like, here's your option and racial options where you don't have to get giant killer. You can just, you know, what, yeah. carry it better or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I did like that they're doing a little bit of the... Is it Shadow of the Demon Lord where they have the... You advance with uh, racial abilities as you go up to? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're doing that a little bit. You kind of get something for your race as you go up a little bit, and I like that. Um... Like, that's still relevant later on. It's like, okay, that's cool. I like that a lot. Um, but I'm still really iffy on that race thing. Um, I'm gonna see, I, I see a lot of people kind of coming up with races that are not very... They're, they're very samey. They're, they're not as novel, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, like, there's no... Like, it, it boils down to there's no iconic thing for an elf, really. Just a series of kind of iconic things. So two elves would be totally different, and they would have nothing in common almost, other than like an ability score bonus and like size and like creature type. But we'll see how they do it in the end. I'm hoping they kind of yeah. twist it around a little because they they actually did quite a bit of revision on how it works in the the latest notes. So if they go ahead and continue that in that trend, we might see a more stable race build. Yeah. Well, I'm going to show my age on this, and I, I'm not jumping into PF2 until there's a final version of it to even, you know, deal with it, um, just because, you know, I'm <laughs> just not wasting my time at the moment. No, I agree. I'll, I did a really I'll deep... I'll the final. Yeah. Let's see, I did a really deep dive on it when I first got there, when it first yeah. came out, and then I've kind of vaguely been paying attention to the notes. I did a few hours read-through on it, and then I've been yeah. kind of do. I've been looking at the notes. Oh, okay, I've been skimming through them, seeing what they have. Uh, yeah. I'm really going to wait till I see the final before I start really writing anything. We have had some plans on, like, what we're releasing right. regarding right. it. We're like, oh, we want to bring over, like, here's how we're going to schedule our stuff if it's yeah. good. So. Right. Yeah, I understand that. Um, you know, it took me about five years to move in the Pathfinder from 3.5, so as a player and then <laughs> producing stuff for it. So. Um, yeah, but, you know, I got about 20 years on you, so <laughs> you guys. So, you know, I'm just going to wait see how it flows. I'm wondering when they're going to make the switch for um, Pathfinder Society. I guarantee you Sasha will let us know. Uh, yeah, I would imagine Gen Con. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing is, are they going to phase it out? Are they going to, like, move Are oh, they move characters know. over? Yeah, or... like, there's a lot of investment these people make to get to 12 right. characters and stuff. Right. Like, yeah. I think they'd have to keep both going for a while just to appease those people. I mean, that's to... what Luis is on the first edition team yeah. still, I think. As is okay. Dangle and one other person at least. Okay. Yeah. yeah, no, I know way too many PFS players, and they are invested in their characters, and they yeah, do want to yeah. retire them. I, I wonder if there's going to be some kind of, like, legacy, like, port over, like, support for it for five years or three years with diminishing levels, you know, like, wrap your stories yeah. up, do your thing. Um, but, yeah, I'll be interested to see how that works. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, what else we got? Uh, I think that's it for Pathfinder Starfinder. All right. Uh, so D&D 5e so news and speculation? Stuff. Oh, my God, yeah. 
<laughs> so we had that Stranger Things box set coming out. I, I mean, to me, that's like, I enjoyed Stranger Things. I enjoy D&D. I probably, it's, it's not how I'm getting into it, but I actually have heard like three or four people who I've played with say they got into D&D specifically through Stranger Things. Really? Okay. It is really weird, and I was like, huh, okay. I mean, I guess that's that makes sense. They were like, what's a demigorgon? How does this work? How does that work? And I'm like, let me show you. Give, I'll give you the crack. I'm going to yeah. lose my geek card, but I'm going to admit that I have not watched Stranger Things yet. Yeah. It's fun. Let's say if, if you don't get into it, it's not like you're going to die. I may get into it. I just haven't watched it yet. I'm behind it's on everything. Yeah. Um... But yeah, like I said, it was it was a great gateway. For, it was a great exposure for D and D as a brand. Like it wasn't presented as like a like a like a satanic panic thing. It was kind of presented like, right. hey, yeah. this was amazing. Yeah, some the eighties are gone, so yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, you were saying earlier about the accessibility of Five E. It was uh, amazing to me seeing at at the university that uh, you know students were super into the game. Um, and I had a lot of. Uh, um, problems with students when I was doing the Pathfinder version and 5e had just come out and did not have an SRD at the time and the Ooh. students were really wanting to write for that system and I'm like we can't do it for these reasons but that's what they were playing you know and yeah um so they, I mean, they really take it to it honestly uh some neat notes it's not like the the show it is the game that the kids yeah. are playing in the show yeah okay yeah um, and we I think all know who wrote it you guys know Stan right Stan, Stan, mm-hmm. Stan, Stan with exclamation yeah. point. Yep. Stan wrote the adventures. So that's super fucking awesome because a ton of people are gonna play that, and that's yeah. very oh, yeah. super. That is awesome. Yeah, and Stan's good at what he does. So. And if other people yeah. like put in their hours and stuff, it's insane. Yeah. Stan's been here for fucking ever. I love it. Love oh, it. he has. Yeah, I keep messing with him that I want a Stan body pillow. <laughs> <laughs> See, it would just be a giant see, exclamation point you, with a beard. Did you see that he got to actually like get in the ring and do sumo with some guys? Oh, no, did he? Oh, yeah, he did. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's, it's on his blog somewhere. It's totally worth reading. Awesome. I have to yeah. check that out. Uh, let's see what else. Um, okay, there's something yeah. I wanted to talk about, damn it. Um, Chris Worlds and Followers is out. That's the, the, the campaign uh, that got $2 million on Kickstarter. Which one? Oh, wow. Holds and Followers by um, the dude Matt Colville. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was okay. a $2 million Kickstarter. Uh, the PDF wow. is out. The book is not out, uh, but the PDF is out, and I think it's being reviewed very kindly. Yeah, so, but okay. it's, it's, it's about him. Yes. Because he put out the class Illrigger. Right. There's um, another thing coming from Jack Allville is the Illrigger. Yeah. And so, I know it exists in an earlier edition, so it's kind of a callback, but I read through it, and everyone I've talked to who's read through it's been like, it's, a, it's an anti-paladin variant, kind of. It's not very creative. It's not, like, incompetently designed, but it didn't take, like, any risk whatsoever. It's just a, a different flavor anti-paladin. And people are like, woo! And I'm like, come on, dude. Really? Yeah, those color for people of 5th edition, it's insane because of the podcasts. And and it's, uh, here's the thing. I've never got into the... I mean, I know I'm on this, but I've never got into, like, the, uh, the actual play ones. And we did a few of those, but I, I just... I don't enjoy doing them that much. I've watched a bunch of Harmon Quest, but that's about it. Like, Best. I like Harmon Quest. Yeah, I do because of like the people involved. But like, <laughs> yeah, man, like yeah. But like a lot of them, like everyone's like, oh, have you heard this one? I'm like, I run games. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, 
Yeah. I have way more. It's like, it's like the people who like like to watch baseball versus people who like to play baseball. You, you know. Yeah. I've never understood the, the phenomenon either, but like a lot of people at times, and, and they have like two hour commutes. Yeah. So like it's great for them. You know, if you have an hour commute every day, uh, back and forth, then you could listen yep. to Critic World for two days and like enjoy yourself. Yeah. Or like maybe you just didn't have time to get together with your group this week and you have to do household chores. They turn it on then. No, I get it. Yeah, I can get I, I am not bashing it in any way. If it's your thing, it's your thing. They just not grabbed me. I'll bash it, I'll bash it all day. I just didn't understand beforehand. No, no, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying that, like, I personally don't enjoy them, but that's just because I play it a lot, you know, like, yeah. between playtesting and actually playing. Yeah, I don't think I have the patience to watch that or anybody play for long periods of time. I think if I had that kind of commute, I would be putting on like uh, language learning things. <laughs> I, uh, I, that, that's how, that's actually I had a really I had a long commute for a while, and that's how I got into doing audiobooks. What? Okay. You're doing audiobooks, yeah. yeah. I turn on NPR whenever I have to take the dog out. I do. Um. Yeah. I do. I, I sorry. I got through all the Dune books that way. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I mean, I was in Arizona at the time, so I'm driving through well, the desert, it. and I'm I like, all right, it. I get this. I understand Arrakis. Yeah. Well, uh, Alps of the Desert is the next WotC book, which is uh, nautical, nautical adventure-based. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Pirates, or I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be on the waves. Oh. It's kind of interesting. Um, 5e, I don't feel like the potential for dying in the water is as high in previous editions, but all my almost like every TPK I've been involved with is on the water. In my, <laughs> you know, that brings me a really interesting thing. I remember it was at one of the PaizoCons, and it was a third-party seminar. And... Lisa said something like, there's certain topics we're really not going to touch because they've been done really well. Um, like Cerulean Seas, they didn't want to do aquatic stuff for a while. Uh, and they didn't Psy- want to do... What? Psionics, they always said. We're yeah, not they, they said they wouldn't. But yeah. you know what the thing... The, I was actually talking with my editor recently, and, and we were like, you know, they did, psych, they did psionics, but they kind of did their own thing with it. Like, if you read through the stuff, it's not, it's not really like... Here's the Wuja Psychic Warrior. It's more like, here's 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 Sam and Dean Winchester in the in fantasy setting. I don't know why they didn't. I mean, they called it the Called Adventures, but they could have pushed it a lot harder. Yeah, they could have pushed that aspect. Like they like, had a class called the Psychic, and I don't think that was like necessary. They called it that. No, mm-hmm. a lot of things they could have called that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Suits there, but yeah. Um, What's the other cool five thing? Oh, uh, Monty Cook. Uh, so they, they did a cool, like, uh, mar- bar- viral marketing thing, but, like, because of all the Zach S stuff that we're going to get to soon, uh, 5e did some some new stuff, like, suddenly Stranger Things, 5 the box, ah! But, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, they were, like, in releasing stuff for a Kickstarter, and Monty Cook was doing this, and, like, they had notes in various people's books, like, this converted to 5th edition for Numenara. And this here, like this guy's in the you know margin. Somebody wrote this note, and um, yeah, so they're they're making Numenara for fifth edition. Really? Uh, announced. Oh, yes. really? I didn't know that. Okay. Huh. Uh, or, the project Arcana of the Ancient Surrey. There's a link in the, the document. Okay. That's, I mean that that's probably gonna be good money. Yeah, probably so. I mean, they got Sean K. Reynolds over there, yep. so they got my vote. Yep. Sean knows what yeah. to do it. Yeah, Sean does. Have I ever told you that I have his? I have a book that his copy of one of the books he wrote, I think it was one of the Eberron books. Giveaways, right? What? One of his giveaways? It was. I didn't win it from, actually won one of his giveaways, but it wasn't from a giveaway I won. I actually bought it off eBay when he was selling it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it has all of his notes on everything. Wow. So, if I ever play an Eberron game, I'll be like, well, 
Let me get it from the source. <laughs> there you go. I forgot what book it was, too. It's on my shelf, though. I'll look at it later. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I actually haven't run Numenera, but, like, I've read it. I really want to run it. I'd say that'd be a game I like. Like the ninth civilization built on the backs of eight destroyed civilizations that use mm. super tech that people interpret as magic. Is that correct? Yeah, um, which is weirdly kind of what Greyhawk is somewhat. There's at least a mm. city or two that's like, the city's been built over like a million times. Uh-huh. Which is also kind of would actually happen in a bunch of real world cities. It did. Like Paris and stuff has a bunch of stuff like uh, that. Yeah. Um. Wasn't Troy rebuilt over many, many times as well? I'm pretty, something like that. But it's like you can still yeah. you can go down like find like different places like going down yeah. like urban explorers have a have a have a field day. Um, do we want to do the uh, other RPG na- news now, Mike? Uh, yeah, let's move on. Okay, let's move on to the other RPG news. Uh, Morris and Ian World are no longer part of the Ennies, which is kind of weird because he's been doing it for twenty fucking years. Yeah. Um, well, isn't it called Ian World and Ennies? Isn't that like? Uh, but Ian World and him are not directly involved anymore. Okay. So they're using the branding, but not the company? I don't know. I, I listened to uh, the Morris Podbean or whatever the fuck. I listened to the podcast last night, and it was just like, uh, he hasn't really been directly involved for a while anyway. And okay. so just like officially cutting the cord. Um, mostly it means that he no longer has like a room reserved for him at Gen Con. Because Gen Con uh, gives uh, the these free rooms for their staff. Uh, so, um, yeah. And then the Robocross stuff. Uh, this happened before we between last on, right? What? Robocross stuff? The Macross Robo... Robotech, I'm sorry. Oh, Robotech. Macross. Macross, uh, yeah. Macross. What's going on with it? Last, the last Kickstarter for it um, didn't deliver all of its rewards, and now they've lost the license, so they can't deliver like half of the room. Wow. Okay, so when I was, we had a booth at, wasn't Gen Con? The Gamma Trade Show? Yeah, Gamma Trade Show. I, I, we were, I was talking with the guys who had the license at the time, and so if you guys don't know, there's yeah, a watched, show, What? Yeah, I, I watched a really good gaming tavern episode on this, but continue and I will, I will okay. expand. So way back, I, I love, it was one of the first animes I really got into. I, I, I have all the box sets, and I've watched them. I literally watched the series backwards mm-hmm. once. Um, okay. But, so there's Macross, and there is Robotech. Macross is the Japanese production that's been going on forever. Um, Harmony Gold licensed Robotech, and basically chopped it up and made their own show out of it. Then grabbed another show and shoved it against the end of it and said, this is a sequel. Then grabbed another show and shoved it against the end and made it a sequel. It is absurd and weird and wonderful. Um, so there are actually two different entities, but it's, you have to license the, license the Macross stuff, yeah, or the Robotech stuff. You have to license it through Harmony Gold to Robotech, which is actually owned by another company. So I asked them, like, how does that work? And they're just like, we just kind of went up and said, can we have it? And here's some money. And they said, yeah. I'm like, okay, but it's a, it's a, it's a real, like, rat's nest. Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, in the 90s when FASA had it, they used robot designs... I think from the show, they didn't realize weren't actually from the show. They were from Mech Warriors, so there was a bunch of fucking cooing games going on. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another Mech thing that got involved that people got pissed about. And then in this one, um, oh, God. Uh, it, uh, so I watched the game. There's a great Gaming Tavern episode on it. Um, look up Gaming Tavern, YouTube, Robotech. 
and you will get the full letdown. But it's like a whole half an hour, and you need the full half hour to explain it. It's incredibly mired. Um, so yeah, if you are interested in Robotech or anime or whatever, check that out. So what happened? Uh, with, what happened with the, with the Kickstarter? So uh, the, whole, yeah, so like the, the most recent one, they made a whole bunch of money. Only delivered like half the product. They've lost the license, and there's no way they can deliver the rest of the product at this point because they're not legally allowed to make it. Okay. And they can't get it back. Do I think the license already been picked up by somebody else? Uh-huh. Yeah, sucks. Just, somebody just a bunch of people just holding the bag. Mm. Uh, do uh, Roll Twenty got hacked? So if you have a Roll Twenty account and any valuable information of any kind, uh, change your password. They use Stripe and PayPal, so the only financial information they have for you are going to be uh, like the last four digits of whichever account. Um, but you should probably change your password if you have an account. Yep. Um, and then the big news. Uh, so uh, Zach Sabbath is an asshole. So Mike, <laughs> you want to give everyone a little bit of a background? Yeah, on that? sure. Zach Sabbath is sort of like a risque game designer who worked a lot on Lamentations of the Flame Princess and also a little bit on D&D 5th Edition and has generally gotten around. Uh, uh, White Wolf really. a little bit too. Yeah, White Wolf. A lot of the OSR stuff. Yeah. Um, he dated a woman named Mandy Morbid for some time. Um, he's the guy behind D&D with Porn Stars. Uh, and uh, he and Mandy broke up because he was uh, reportedly... Um, abusive, uh, like really super abusive all the time, and manipulative and a piece of shit. He harassed several other women as well, and um, Mandy called him out for it recently, and uh, he has not fared well uh, because several other women came out and called him out. Um, the D and D folk got in big trouble because oh yeah, and I mentioned this because the strange thing was that so um, in 2014. I think, Bunch of people emailed Mike Morrill, so like, hey man, why are you working with Zach? This dude's like this womanizing abuser asshole. And uh, he ended up taking those complaints and giving them to Zach Sabbath, who then used them to harass the people who blew the whistle on him. Oh. So that's how he kind of kept things going for a couple extra years. Um, yeah, now everyone's cutting ties. Uh, game, or, um, let me see you all. Onyx Path, uh, The Lamentations of the Flame Princess people, D&D 5e. Um, they've all dropped him. Drive through RPG won't sell new shit from him. Um, what was the other one? Oh, and Gen Con, who almost never oh, Gen Con, yeah, say who they have banned, have said publicly that they accept his ban from the convention. Well, uh, what, was, is, what was the what was the the company you shared with us that posted the big thing? That was Lamentations of the Flame. Yeah, yeah. Company. So one of the things I, I was telling you is like, I never want to have to write that letter. I never want to be in that position. I cannot imagine it. Mm-hmm. Um, but statistically, we all probably know some kind of abuser. And if you do, just like, there's no good way to write that email other than saying, dude is a dick. Um, completely disre- You know, I do not support him. I don't endorse him. But then you also mm-hmm. think of the bottom line of, so like 10% of my, like if, if my editor Ian, he's a friggin' saint, but if he was... If he was ever to like, you know, get something like that, I'd have to pull like eighty percent of my stock, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't know how, like where that line is. I mean, I don't know. Didn't uh, I'm not gonna. I don't want. I don't want to get it. I always thought the D and D porn star thing was a, a badly, a badly considered gimmick, and yeah, was just for something like this. Um, True. Uh, I want to say I think it's sad though that people didn't listen to the people who were talking before about 
problems with Zach. Uh, David Hill was one of the main people that I followed at the time that was always saying he was being harassed. Um, and nobody listened. You know, that's, I was that's sad. Girls took the emails that he got about a harasser and gave them to the harasser. Yeah, no, that's just crazy. I don't know how long why, ago was that. Why that girls was, would do that? Uh, four years ago, five years yeah. ago. Okay, yeah. but say if it was like you know, fifteen or something like. Okay, it wasn't like. I mean, it was still a scru screwed up move, but like, at least they had the excuse of like, oh, we weren't as aware of this type of stuff being a big deal then. But now it's like, like five years ago, man. Come on, come on. Yeah. You you've been yeah. educated enough at this point by yeah. the culture. So. Uh, Shouldn't have done in the first place. Other cleaning of house going on. Uh, Game Hulkon kicked Frank Metzer, uh, oh, good. which. Is the surprise? <laughs> done. It's for his intractability and belligerence. Um, oh, okay. Uh, amongst other things. And then uh, also Matthew McFarland, who is also uh, apparently uh, purportedly a serial harasser, uh, is no longer uh, part of Onnit's path, and a bunch of other people have kicked him. And I think even the company that he and his wife owns has closed shop. Oh, okay, I hadn't heard that part. Well, one of the reasons I brought up White Wolf is like. Man, I mean, he wasn't like all about White Wolf, but like, White Wolf, man, you have just like, yeah, White Wolf, what the fuck? Like, you, yeah. like, come on, that, like, if you step in something once, you clean your shoe. If you if you step in it again, man, like, it's your own damn fault. Come on, like, screen screen your editor, your people a little bit better. Don't shame me, fool me again. Not that. I remember when that was the dumbest thing a president said. Oh. Oh, I'm just going to take a minute to breathe that in. Mm. Okay. So, other media of interest. Genlock, isn't that an anime? Uh, yeah, it's Rooster Teeth. Oh! Yeah, so Rooster Teeth, if you guys don't know, they started off doing the red versus blue, then they started doing a bunch of other stuff, um, which was like, uh, like Ruby, if you guys haven't seen it. They got a big contract with this company, Mondo. Um, and they got all sorts okay. of big names to jump on sh on board for a sci-fi love letter to like giant robot series. Um, it look it feels a lot like Ava a little bit. Well, I'll say it has some, shares some co some concepts in 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 common. Um, the first episode's a little weak, I'll be honest. Uh, Michael B. Jordan's in there as the as the main character. Uh, David Tennant's in there. A bunch of other big names. Um, the first episode, like I said, is decent but the second and third really will just be like holy shit man it is it, it starts grabbing it, it it's what that's one of the things with rooster teeth i realized is like they they're one of those series that goes like gets better as the time goes on like they generally start okay that's cool and by the end of it you're like you know uh it's it's not it's not consistent throughout the entire thing but like the, the first episode is just the whole series thus far has been dynamite they're releasing it on verve.co um, which I recently subscribed to for a few things, and uh, it's it's really it's really something else. Um, uh, Start watching One Punch Man. One Punch Man. Watching it subbed, I just didn't get into it, but like dubbed, all of his lines land so much better. Yep. Um, speaking of One Punch Man and things that are like that, Kirk, it's okay. I know my grandma's home. Um, have you guys seen Last Man yet? Yeah. So Last Man is... Last Man is called, I think. What? With Hayden Christensen? 
Is that the one you're talking about? Harvey uh, Keitel? What? Is it is it a movie with Harvey Keitel? No, 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 no. It's a TV, it's a show. Okay. Um, okay. it's similar to. It's not anime, but it's close. Um, like Venture Brothers isn't Cartoon Network's old stuff, like Hanna Barbera stuff, but it's close. Um, it's some of this French guy who ha- who launched a comic called Last Man, and this serves as a prequel, but you wouldn't know or care about the main series. It is about boxing and occult demons and skeezy 80s criminal vibe and, like, vaporwave shit. It is just the best animated series I've seen in the last five years. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, it Watch the first episode, you'll be hooked, and every episode is just completely insane. Um, again, that's also on Verve and Mondo. It, just, it literally just wrapped... It was actually funded by a Kickstarter, too. Okay. Um, I think it's also on Netflix, if memory serves. And get the and there's it's dubbed in both French and English. Hmm. And the uh, English dub has uh, what's his name uh, Jet from Bebop. His his voice actor is one of the main characters and stuff. It's it's really good, man. Okay. Uh, those are the last two things I've been really chilling on recently. Did you get to see the Alita movie, by the way? No, I haven't. And plus, I have a really shitty theater near me, and that's it. Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah, I wasn't familiar with it before, but I did go see the movie recently, and uh, it kept me interested the entire time. So Everyone's been giving it rave reviews from what I've yeah. heard. They say this really is how you it. adapt an anime, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, well, I can't speak to the anime piece of it because I didn't know the history of it, but, uh, you know, like I said, it kept me intrigued the whole time. I thought they did an excellent job. Um, let's see. We have the whole Marvel thing. Yeah, what's the Marvel cancel? Oh, because they're canceling. Just they they canceled all their Netflix yeah. shows finally. Um, but in the last few days, Marvel TV, the guy who runs it, um, wrote this big letter like thanking everyone and being like, hey guys, we made 12 seasons of shows for this. That's insane. You know how many people we, we, we did this with? And at the end he said, look, we're not done telling stories. You guys love these characters. We're not done telling stories with them. To be continued, dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, Okay. Um, but we'll see how that goes. It, yeah. They can't use him for at least two years hmm. um, due to contract stuff. But that means they could put stuff into work, you know, a year before the in, the, in like nine months from now, and they'll have something out in time for that, you know? Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is as good as everyone told Oh, yeah. Was. This is a little late yes. if, if we, you haven't seen it, but it is... You know how the Lego movie took, like... You're like, oh, it's a product placement stupid show? And then turn into something really whimsical and wonderful. They did that but with Spider-Man, and it's much better than that, even. It's the first digitally animated Spider-Man that I enjoyed. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hands down. Yes. Um, I want to see 40 more of those, but I want them to have the same level of, like, pow and just kind of mind-blowing creativity. Right it was. What? It felt like the right attitude for Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man is a specific... Every Spider-Man comic you ever pick up has the same, like... Joie de vivre, the, the, the same, like, uh, it behaves the same way, yep. no matter which issue you're grabbing, from 1974 or from, like, yesterday. It always will feel like like a, this this ambivalent jester. I don't, I don't, it's hard to put down into words. He's got, he's got, he's, he's got the je ne sais quoi. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 he's that, he's, he's smart, he, he's swarmy, he's, or not swarmy, he's, uh, he's snarky, he kind of jokes at things, he's quippy, quippy is the word we use. Um, and he's, he's always been young and fun, you know, not, not as, as like vibrant or joyful as, as Peter gets written. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
<laughs> and the movies are always making out to be like blockbuster superhero, and you're like, there are certain times when like he doesn't have enough to eat, you know, like, and like he's he's very down to earth when it comes to stuff, and it's very uh, it's very interesting. I don't know. And that movie really summed it up very good. Plus, that that was the way to make um, to introduce Miles. Yeah, no, that was a good way to bring Miles. Um, the other thing was, remember when Sony and Marvel had that big thing where they swapped around some stuff and they let certain people show up in the uh, in the Marvel universe? Then they got to keep Spider Man, and Marvel had to like help out a little bit with some stuff. I think so. That they were saving it for Venom and that. Oh yeah, Venom. <laughs> Yeah, the Venom movie that everyone instantly forgot happened. No, yeah. some people are really like into it on my feed. I, I it wasn't, wasn't my thing. Bad. I thought it was okay. It just wasn't like I think everybody was hoping for something more than was. Yeah, it needed to be at an eleven, and it was, and it scored a solid seven. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, coming up, we got Captain Marvel. Was it yes. next month? And the one after that is Avengers sure. Endgame. I was I was pleasantly surprised. Stephanie, who typically hates superhero movies, I got her to watch uh, Avengers Three: Civil War, and she was like way into it. Oh yeah! Like, Fuck you! Can I please make you watch Black Panther? And she was like, No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, all right. So do we do we, do we want to do uh, current Kickstarters? Twilight Zone. There's a new Twilight, Twilight Zone. Yeah. Um, uh, Keegan Peel. Keegan Peel. Yeah, Keegan Peel's playing Rod Serling. Well, that, that's Key, all... that's Keegan Peel. Uh, what's his name? But yeah, he he directed. Peel. Yeah. He's not the he is the tall guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keegan Peel is the short one. Yeah. Well the, that's not a fair point. The one with hair is Keegan Peel. The tall guy is Michael Keegan. Um they also had uh well he, he did get out and a bunch of other things, but Yeah, uh, he's a really good director. He's, yeah, a, he's sure. an amazing director and writer, and the fact that they got him for that, I'm just like Alright, I'm sold. Let's say we shouldn't let the Brits have all the fun, like his black mirror is basically Twilight Zone. Yeah. That's true. We had other stuff in between now and the original Twilight Zone. There was uh, the Outer Zone, or the out, oh, Outer Reach, or whatever. Outer, Outer Limits. Outer Limits. Outer Limits. Uh, Tales from the Crypt. We had. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt felt more like goosebumps to me. Yeah, but you know we had something at least. Um, yeah. But Black Mirror's been killing it, man. So there, there's Did a market for that. Black Mirror, choose your own adventure thing. Well, there's a movie called uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch, which uh, allowed you to do it. But if you don't watch Black Mirror, it's. Um, it's a British produced like Twilight Zone style thing. With uh, it's an anthology series, but it's focused on sci-fi and technology specifically. Yeah, specifically tech focused. Um, yeah. So everything has some thing of technology and something of sci-fi and probably some horror. Dark futurism told through the same like story conventions as uh, Twilight Zone. Kinda, yeah, kinda. I mean, each one feels like a mini movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're long too. They're not short. Well, depends. The first season, so they probably so put them out when they, like, when they want because they put them out like the first season was they were they were a little shorter, and then the recent seasons that Netflix did was basically like, each one was like an hour and a half long. So they're basically movies, and there's no like interconnecting things to them. They're just hey, another episode. There are little tiny references. Yep. Two other episodes, but that's it. They're not like the uh, hinging plot points or anything. Yeah, it's just like this also happens to be in the same world. But I'll just let you know because here's a commercial about this thing. Yep. Um, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, yeah. And Bandersnatch was. Um, I actually didn't see it. 
it's worth doing. It's, I'd, I'd say like eight, eight out of ten, maybe. Okay. And which is a little weird because with, with Black Mirror, you will quickly come become accustomed to ten out of ten because they're yeah. all really good. Uh, so I think expectations were just a little too high. If they had released it in between a series, you know, season one and season two, oh, yeah. but after season two, it's like, well, you guys fed me the caviar. Why are you bringing me these fucking tuna? Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, current Kickstarters. Uh, I got nothing. I'm going to get that out of the way first. I got nothing. Yeah, I don't have anything. Two things. Uh, Go for it. One is this thing called the Ascension, uh, the Codex of Immortals. Which is part of the zines project right now. Kickstarter is trying to get people to publish a lot of oh yeah yeah that. magazine type content. Um, this is for like very high level epic fifth edition stuff. Uh, it's by a dude who uh, is always commenting on my mythological figures column on Yen World. Yeah, and uh, he uh, Dave. Dave, okay, Dave. Dave, Dave Plunkett. Okay, let's um, <laughs> say ah, I know Dave. I know several Dave. Dave, two thousand eight on the Yen World. I got, I got it. Uh, but yeah, he has his own like thread on the Inworld where he's he's taken all the old demigods and stuff uh, and updated them for fifth edition, and he's adding on new things. So if you are into very high level play, check that one out. Okay. Uh, and what's the other one? It, no, well, Ascension launched the other day, and he's at almost a thousand dollars out of fourteen hundred. So he's definitely gonna fly. Nice. Um, the other one is one of my proteges. So I picked these kids up. Uh, they were like starting to put stuff out in DM's Guild. They were really upset uh because yes yeah, skills a terrible marketplace and so i like pulled them out of dms again i was like here put on drive to rpg do your own kickstarter and stuff like you can make you can make money doing this just not where you're trying to do it uh and i have since hired him for a bunch of stuff he did a side quest in uh trade war huh. called the golden carp that was great uh, he also wrote a bunch of like random ancestries for me so like um in the Shadow of the Demon Lord rulebook and and stuff, there's these ancestry tables where it, when you're making a character, you can just randomly roll it up pretty much. And uh, I did not do that in the original Shadow of the Demon Lord book. Here's his side quest. And wow. so I wrote up half of them, and then I had him write the 10,000 other words of randomized tables. Uh, so he wrote the Soap and Ancestry book for me, or half of it. And then um, this is his own project. It's called the Ultimate Race Player Race Creator. Um... If nothing else, you should check out the, the Kickstarter page because they made a like just a hilarious fucking video. Huh. Uh, I have watched it several times and it still makes me laugh. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like the Advanced Race Guide, but for Fifth Edition. Oh wow! Um, actually, I just thought of one. Have you guys seen the uh, the Kanatar Kickstarter? No, I haven't. It's no. it's uh they do fantasy miniatures, but they're well, canines and These they're guys- centaurs. Before we jump over, um, Ultimate Race Creator is nine days to go, so like a week left by the time you are listening to this episode, and uh, they are at three thousand three hundred dollars of their eight hundred dollar goal. So, like, okay. Just kill them. But yeah, so there's the, let me see if I can find it. It's it's got like Canatar or something because they're like canine centaurs kind of, <laughs> um, and they are friggin' adore the miniatures. Um, I think they're they, they'd work for like D and D and stuff. Centaurs and yeah. What? Kanatars and Philatars? Yes, that one. That one. Did it finish uh, yet? Well, it's the card set. I don't know if it's... No, it's there's, the there's, one, there's one with uh, with the miniatures. Cool. Let me, let me see. Mm, oh, this is a different company. It's not this one. But anyway, um, so they have... A, well, it does have the, the, the feline ones, so a few of them, but there's a Corgi Royal Guard, and I have a Corgi, and I'm just like... And, some of them, and people have been sending me the link to it for the last, like, three weeks, and I'm just like... 
Alright, I'm happy. I'll go look at it again, I guess. Um, but yeah, that, that's the only one I can really think of. Um, uh, give me the link and I will put it in the description of the podcast episode. I will. Anyway, so, um, anything else, guys? I think that's all I'm back in right now. Let me double check real quick. Yeah. Back Project, Ascension. Mythic Mania 2 is already done, I think. And Shadow of the Demon Lord did another Kickstarter that is over. But yeah, that's it for me. Okay. All right. And we don't have free discussion. Normally, if we, if we had a guest, now would be uh, 10 minutes where we let them just talk about whatever. Sports, uh, Christina, sports is there something that you would just like to talk about? Uh, I just want to uh, hear what you guys are excited about, what's coming out that's intrigued you. Or... Mm. Well, so here's something I, I'll say. When we did Starfinder stuff, we did like a vague couching on a lot of our content. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we called it, we referred to something called Red Sector and said, hey, if you're using Red Sector, this is what happened. Now, we haven't put out a campaign setting for it. Okay. But we're like, hey, if you're using it, this is where how it probably works or whatever. And we call our things something of Red Sector. Okay. And we're thinking about doing that for Second Ed. Huh, okay. Because we had some success with it. People were like, oh, yeah. that. We actually had somebody in a group come up. Like, I got tagged in a random post, and it turns out someone had taken all of Red Sector, all the races we put out, and put them on a map. And I'm like, ooh, okay. Wow, that's like great. I'm like, it, it was a surreal feeling. So, like. Coming out, I kind of want to do that more. Yeah, um, I yeah. want to take like a set of races that we've put out because we, we've transferred a bunch from like Pathfinder to Starfinder, and I think we're gonna take a bunch over to Pathfinder Two. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna pick like I think like eight or nine of our most popular races and like classes, and do that for Pathfinder Two, and then like always provide support for those, okay. um, and then kind of couch them in a generalized setting that you can kind of be like. Oh, okay. You can like it's like how like each edition has like their like premiere like campaign setting. So like, what was it like? One of them had like Eberron. One had like Greyhawk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 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 Um, well, three. I guess you could say Eberron was three point five and Greyhawk yeah. was three. Yeah, something like that. But it ended up being like I think Greyhawk was even earlier ones too. But yeah, I remember Greyhawk, Greyhawk was Greyhawk the original D setting. Yeah, it was. Yeah. was. Got, like Definitely. it was treated as the core book setting, and then yeah. Forgotten Realms made a shitload of splat books for three O. They kind of pulled yeah. back around three five, and that's when Eberron hit. I think. Yeah, and that was because they kind of like did a big thing, like contest for it and everything. Yeah, that contest. Yeah. So, so I kind of want to like do something like that going forward. I think I think that's gonna be an interesting way of uh, treating content because people seem to enjoy it. Yeah, that's an interesting idea, actually. And, I like that. And and each book begins with a section that says red sector question mark and it's just like, yeah, that you don't have these. This is all writ, written setting neutral, but if you want to, here's how you can integrate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody is always complaining about like Mr. Vakuma, like I don't want to do steampunk. It's like I have a sidebar right here on the first fucking page. Yeah, yeah. How to make it not steampunk? Okay. Yeah, but yeah, like I said, and this is literally it's like for example, like uh, the, the was the packed worlds in Starfinder are are like. Here's a system. And we're like, here's a sector. Everything yeah, is like yeah. really spread out, and there are Tarasks that float around space eating things. Um, <laughs> and the planets aren't really friends. They're just kind of, well, if a Tarask comes to your world, we'll join in and help out. They're like a trade alliance and a, uh, a vague trade and defense alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, we've had some like regular 
bits of lore and like, hey, that's where these guys fit in. Like, even we put something right here so you can plug it in. So we're kind of like, we have a master doc for it, but like, I like to see that kind of integration like we saw in 3.5, like we saw in, yeah. um, like we're doing here. Like, I don't know, it's just an interesting way of like doing a core setting, core race class combo. I don't know, it'll be interesting. How about you, Mike? Uh, EN World is starting to really put their oomph into uh, supporting the What's Old is New RPG system. Yeah? Okay. That's cool. Yeah, Church Dread's, like, pretty much on the way out. Uh, I think it's available for sale now, even. Um, That's cool. So he's turning back to, like, original stuff, and uh, uh, I'm involved with some of it. What can I talk about? Uh, the Beast Theory is coming along, and I'm writing a lot of material for that. That's kind of fun. It was a little little rough, like, figuring out what he wants, because I was like, and this Thieves Guild, and he's like, no, you can't. I don't want I don't want you to refer to Thieves Guild like that. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, he's the Thieves Guild <laughs> around since, like, Arabian Nights. And he's like, no, 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 it's like, it's like a Tolkien approach. So, like, it's not the Thieves Guild. It's like the Order of the Slanted Dagger, and you have to, like, uh, apologize it. I was like, got oh, it. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm actually going through Tolkien right now. I'm going through the first book, and, like, it's crazy how much things fit and don't fit. Like, yeah. the elf star... Perception and how things are presented to you, which is why everyone gets fucking insane about Tom Bombadil not being in the movie. Uh, so, people who haven't read the books forget, or I guess don't know that, like, I think it was like 30 years go by between the party and the, the when Frodo leaves, and also he goes on a bunch of adventures before that that really aren't super plot-relevant to everything else, though I see why it's important. Um, but I, I've come to, like, the conclusion that, like, oh, that's where they got this from, that's where they got that from. Like, for example, when Aragorn puts on the elf star on his neck, he, everyone realizes that, he goes, was he always that tall? He has a kingly bearing now, I think. A little bit more. Hmm. I'm like, oh, it's a, it, it, it's a plus two to charisma. Got it. <laughs> or a plus four to charisma. Got it. Like, the other thing is, like, uh, you see, there's like the whole, there's dark vision in there. That's you can actually literally see like, oh, I can see this just fine now. I'm like, oh, cool. But there's one thing I thought was really funny was you know how they play like the elves versus dwarves thing up really big. Mm. Um, before they get to Lothlorien, there's only like one moment where it's kind of like, oh you eat, oh you dwarf, oh you elf, and it's like it's kind of playful. And they get to Lorien and they're like. Well, our bosses don't actually like dwarves, so we're gonna make you all we're gonna make you wear a blindfold, and then everyone else is like, "We're we'll wear one too." And as soon as they get there, they're like, "Oh no, no, we're cool, we're cool." Actually, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then there was never an issue again. Yeah. So they get like this big thing, like especially in the movies, and it's just like, not really. What makes me wonder when when you talk about Tolkien is like how much <laughs> of this is actually completely lost on us because we're so far removed from when it was written because most yeah. things are written with like. In with political allegories and metaphors and stuff that have um, to do with modern yeah. events. I will I will point out the thing that always gets pointed out. In an introduction, he writes to, this, to two to two towers. He straight up says, "No, this is not an allegory. Stop it." Of course. <laughs> he literally just goes. I've heard people say this is an allegory for World War II and my service in it. No, it's not. Stop it. And he keeps yelling at it at people about it. He's like, "You're going to draw your own conclusions. I know." But don't. He's going to have unintentional biases anyway. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But, like, also the dude is so far into his world building and up his own ass. Like, I, I, I posted this on Facebook recently. He literally had a song in an ancient version of Elvish, which, so he had an ancient, he had, a, he had several versions of it, but with linguistic drift accounted for, he has a song that no one can understand, 
that he sings about events that he does not write about in a book during his lifetime that takes up on the audiobook three minutes. It is translated later and has no bearing. I have a 128 book on the gods of Varanthia. Yeah. And I am afraid to read it because so much of it is unintentionally revealing about my life and experiences. Like, you, you could get a lot out of what it was like to be born in, you know, the millennial generation and stuff. And just from reading that book without me intending for any of that All to right. be part of it. So, like, the idea that there yeah, are there's a lot in your work cultural yep. artifacts to be drawn out of out of a, a book just because the author didn't mean for it. I, I totally agree. Well, the other thing is, like, it's it's death of the author. It's do, How much does the intent of the author matter versus your own perception of the work and what you get out of it? For example, can, can you can you read Orson Scott Card's work despite his homophobic stance and still get something positive out of it? Yeah. So it's what do you get out of the book to the degree? Infer. What do you infer? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm saying what you get out of it. If you, I, mean, I guess you can infer whatever you want from it, but I'm saying if you find this book That's uplifting, what you get out of something, not what is given to you by engaging with something. Okay. That would be what's implied by the book. Right. Okay. So there are implications that he's avoiding, but there are still inferences that are going to be made, and implications he makes without consciously doing so. Uh, you mentioned like how much you uh, how much you put into those into some of the stuff you wrote. Yeah, yeah we, we have some stuff that I'm. I, if you read into it, I'm like, like, oh my god, I hope nobody who knows me actually reads it. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I've done that quite a bit. Um, so I, if you guys don't know, I write a lot, a lot, a lot of content for a uh, 40k wiki, a fandom wiki. And uh, I, there's a bunch of anti-Semites there and a bunch of other things. So I've, over time, worked my way into, like, certain areas. Like, I have my, these are totally not the Jews legion uh, of uh, Imperial Guard. Um, and I have the, I got a bunch of crusty neckbeards to let me write female space marines. Oh, that was awesome finding out those are actually canon. Okay, yes, yeah, okay. Not, they, they didn't let me do it for that. I had to write... That the things that the things that are, they're called the wardens are not space marines. They wear power armor and have all the stuff, and they're on par with space marines. But they're oh. not space marines. There, there are actual female space. Yes, marines. I know. We were having a discussion. The little what sisters, the, little sisters of mercy. Yeah. But as we as was pointed out, they're not actually from a games workshop. They weren't written by someone at Games Workshop. They were written by someone at Challenge Magazine. Uh-huh. But here's okay. the thing. Here's the thing. From those ser- from that series, there's a bunch of stuff. Kirk, shush, it's okay. Um, there's a bunch of stuff in those books that are 100% canon today. Mm. And Black Library has a saying: it is, um, everything is canon, nothing is true. <laughs> so the thing is, are the Little Sisters of Mercy, which are li- written as there's there are rare Space Marine chapters that are female, or, or is that considered canon? Sure, why not? You know, if that's what you want. I'm ready to just go ahead. And by the way, they were described as a very small one. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a big chapter. It wasn't a big. Chapter. They, they were. I don't even think. That, I think they were. They were like. They weren't even a full company, and they were led by a lieutenant. Um, which was really weird. But it's like first or it's like early, early like rogue trader stuff. So, and that's the stuff I actually like. Squat battle trains. Oh my god! Come on, give them back. What? Okay, so squats have. Squats, space dwarves in 40k. There are, their planet is racked, the planet they were from, one of them, was racked with thunderstorms and lightning. So their epic love, they're like epic scale, they're, they're like super weapons, were these literal like trains on treads with super weapons. 
and they're called squat land battle trains. And they're just trains that go across their place and like get struck by lightning and earthquakes and storms and don't give two shits and have super weapons that can take out like titans. And they're squat battle trains, come on! Okay. Squats are the best. They were. Um, Alright guys, we got anything we want to wrap up on? Other than squat battle trains? <laughs> oh my god, and Obi-Wan Sherlock Clouseau. Mm. He, he was an early Inquisitor. Oh. And he had a, and he had a peace sign on his shirt. It, and a big mech beard, it was great. But, um, <laughs> so that's what we on. Obi-Wan Sherlock wow. Clouseau. Wow. <laughs> all right well everybody thank you for tuning christina it was it was nice to bring you on the show I look forward to uh what are we doing next week or the week after uh probably week after yeah okay. well it, we'll see you in two weeks to help us okay all right. And, uh, all right guys yeah thanks for coming everybody all right one. thanks